Welcome to this episode of the More Than Code podcast. Today we have Randall Canna joining us today. I'm really excited to have you here, Randall. Thanks for Thank joining you. us. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Nice. So let's start with uh, kind of the beginning. Where did you grow up? Yeah, so I grew up in Sacramento, California, about two hours outside of the city uh, in East Sacramento. My parents actually still live in that same area. Nice. And you're in San Francisco now? Uh, yeah, I'm in the Bay Area. I just moved to Marin um, a little bit before COVID. So that was actually great timing because a little more space right now and have a lot of pets. So they have a little bit more room. Nice. What pets do you have? I have a big German Shepherd and then I have two cats. Oh, that can't be easy on an apartment, right? Yeah, it was tough. And, you know, SF living when you have a shoebox and you're trying to raise, you know, an 80 pound dog. <laughs> <laughs> nice. What actually took you to the Bay Area? So a coding boot camp, I kind of my dream was to work at Facebook or Google. And yeah, that dream has changed, obviously. <laughs> um, but I went to a coding boot camp about six years ago and kind of moved to the city, moved to a little bunk bed in Chinatown, which was a really crazy, fun experience. And I ended up uh, just staying in the city for my first job after my boot camp and kind of been around the area ever since. That's cool. How did you find the boot camp experience? Was it uh, was it worth it? Was it was it a good way to enter to a city? Because it seems kind of intimidating, right? The idea of moving to a new city for a new career for a boot camp <laughs> all at once. Oh yeah, it was absolutely terrifying. I was somewhat introverted, so going to a boot camp like that was a terrifying experience. And in those days, you know, it was like six years ago. I, can't, I don't know if I can say in those days for six years ago, but <laughs> six years ago, boot camps were very different, very vigor- uh, rigorous and difficult. So some people compared it to getting, you know, a degree at an Ivy League school of how difficult it was. So it was definitely a really rough experience. I was there for about three months. Um, on site almost every single day, except for some Sundays. So overall, it was you know difficult, but also a really fun experience. And I learned a lot. And I got a job two weeks after the boot camp, so it really worked out for me. That's pretty great. Now, did the boot camp place you, or did you find that job on your own? Um, so they actually had a career week where they spent a week going over you know your resume, interviewing skills. Uh, everything you can imagine of how to prepare you for a job. And because I went so in depth with working on my LinkedIn profile that the company that eventually hired me reached out to me. But during that whole time, I was interviewing at multiple places, including Apple. So I kind of had a lot of things in my back pocket, but I was really lucky that it worked out how it did at my first company. Cool. How are you liking San Fran? Do you plan to stay? Uh, <laughs> well, that's I'm, like San sure. I'm in the Bay Area. I guess uh, for those of us not there, we tend to think of it all as one thing. And I know it's actually two things. Oh, eh. one big thing, really. <laughs> um, I guess I'll have to get back to you if I leave the area in the next few years or not. I've already kind of moved out of the area. But yeah, right now, I think it's a really great place to be if you can be in person at a company. And I think that's really fun and such an amazing experience. But with COVID right now, not the ideal place I would want to live. Uh, do you think that COVID will cause this mass exodus from 
cities in San Francisco and the Bay Area, like all the articles are predicting? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think a lot of people our age right now are just naturally leaving, though. So I think that's also adding to it. I left right before COVID. And it's a really good decision. But I have, I know a ton of people leaving the city and my company right now, I just started a new job and they're giving up their lease in the city. Oh, wow. So you're going full remote? Yeah. So I just started actually this uh, week and I'll be, you know, permanently remote, but they're actually even just completely investing in remote work right now, which I really love. Interesting. Yeah. So I moved to Boston for a job at Wayfair and then COVID happened. And when I took the job, we had discussed me going remote because previous to this, I've had about a decade of full remote experience. Wow. And COVID just kind of accelerated that timeline. And so that's why I'm now back down south in Georgia um, and going full remote for Wayfair now. So it's oh, awesome. I love Wayfair. Interesting times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love how companies are a little more open right now with remote. Yeah. Do you see yourself staying in the area and working remote? Like, would you prefer to stay remote or is it too early to tell for you if you want to go back into an office? Yeah, I think it's too early to tell. I'll have to see how it plays out. You know, it's hard to continue paying expensive Bay Area rent when you can't go anywhere, can't see anyone, can't, you know, take advantage of all the great things that the Bay Area offers. Yeah, that's got to be pretty painful. I know it was it was painful <laughs> in Boston. That's nothing to the Bay Area. Yeah, very expensive here. They say rent's dropping in the city, though, substantially, but I have yet to see it. Interesting. Uh, so your family, uh, are they all back in Sacramento or where are they spread out? They're a lot in Sacramento. My sister, Madison, is actually an engineer as well. And she's her company is remote right now, <laughs> but they weren't in the past. It's called Keeper Security. So she's living in Sacramento. And then my parents are in East Sacramento. Cool. How do they like you being away? <laughs> they don't love it. They, yeah, they miss me a lot. We're very, I was homeschooled my whole life. So it's a very close knit family. Interesting. I was homeschooled my whole life as well. Which Wow. It's so rare. Did you do? <laughs> yeah. No. Well, my mom actually uh, founded co-founded homeschool.com. So I pretty much extensively use her curriculum. <laughs> That's got to be the worst, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult when your mom literally wrote the book on it. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so this leads me to new questions. Are you a fan of homeschooling? If you had kids, would you choose to homeschool? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's a good question. What, what would you do? I would not, actually. So I found wow. the experience good academically, but very poor socially. And so until I was probably about 15, I struggled socially, especially with peers. Uh, and then it was definitely a learning process after that for me. Yeah, I can feel you. I definitely understand that. I was homeschooled. And then at 16, I graduated and started going to community college classes because that's really all you can do when you're 16. And it was a really rough experience suddenly being thrown in with a bunch of people in classrooms, very anxiety inducing. And I also did not have a ton of social skills. I like to think I've slightly improved since then, but it was very difficult. <laughs> I can relate. All right, we'll move on. Um, are you a Star Wars person or a Star Trek person? Oh, that's a great question, but it's always going to be Star Trek Voyager for me. Huge fan. Nice. All right, let's delve into a little bit on your background. So you... 
you got into tech via boot camp. But what what originally drew you to tech into that boot camp? Yeah, so I started doing HTML and CSS when I was twelve, and I loved it. I was on Neopets.com and I was selling websites and I was building Pirates of the Caribbean fan guilds every week, and I thought it was amazing. But then when I got to college, I had a college counselor that said, gave me a little "come to Jesus" if you could say in that phrasing that there basically the school was very impacted and it would take me six to eight years to graduate. And there's also no women in the program. So it would be a very jarring experience. And I was basically told to not even pursue that avenue. And so I foolishly took that advice and <laughs> did not graduate in computer science. And then after college, I had a communication degree and it was basically useless at that point um, for me, because I couldn't get an interview. The market was so saturated in the Bay Area for hiring at that time. Even for engineers, it was very saturated. A lot of boot camps were hiring, um, getting people out there and hiring really quickly. So eventually I found out about coding boot camps actually from my aunt. And it was just such an amazing thing. She sent me an article about it and what success it had been. And kind of just all escalated from there. Oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. That's, uh bad intro to tech right <laughs> yeah for years i just didn't even think about it again i was like yeah i guess women don't really do that which is crazy talk you know now because everything's so much better than it was six years ago yeah wow well at least you got in i guess just a, an alternative path yeah that's true i'm really happy how everything worked out i can't imagine you know what my life would have been i was you know i was applying to companies right out of college and it wasn't getting any callbacks. And I had, you know, I had interned, I had taken a gap year, I had worked, I had worked at multiple political campaigns. So I didn't have a lack of work experience. I just could not get a job. Oh, wow. So if you were to give a niece or nephew advice on CS theory or boot camp or some other path, <laughs> what would be your advice there, right? Because you'd be kind of come the, you don't need a CS degree. Uh, spokesperson in a lot of ways on Twitter. Oh gosh, I didn't know that. What would actually your advice there be? (laughs) I think if you can get a CS degree, get one. I mean, going back, I should have been bullheaded and I should have got one and it would have been so much easier. And, you know, some people, you have to have a CS degree to get into tech and that's unfortunate. And hopefully that changes, but it's a reality. But, you know, if you've already graduated, you can still make it in tech without a degree. My sister, actually, she didn't even go to a boot camp. She started teaching herself and reaching out to companies and got a job. Cool. All right. What is your current working setup? So I've been asking this in the context of COVID, but I guess for you, it's also the context of remote working. So how are you (laughs) working these days? Let's see. Um, (laughs) Lots of Pomodoros. (laughs) I'm setting a lot of those these days. I have a pretty nice, I just got a fully standing desk and they are fantastic. I love them. So I have my little monitor arm and everything. So it's going pretty well, but it's definitely a little distracting, you know, working in this environment with COVID. It's definitely hard to focus. So the Pomodoro is coming handy right now. That's a good trick. I used to use an app that would uh, Pomodoro and then it would actually block most websites while you're in a timer. Oh, I love that. I was just looking at this. um, (laughs) It's a prison for your cell phone. It's a little jail cell. And it has a lock and you can put your phone in that. And I've been seriously considering buying it. 
That's great. Um, so with the focus trouble, how are you finding the work-life balance, right? Are you trying to still work certain hours throughout the day? Or are you kind of stretching your day out or what, what's that look like? For you? Oh, definitely. I think that is so important. If you just stop working after a certain time, like, you know, 6, 18 PM right now, I stopped hard stop at 6 PM of my job and start at nine, generally stop at six, fairly new work schedule. My last work schedule was 7 AM to 3 p.m. So that was rough. Um, But I definitely think it's important to just shut down your computer and then one day a week going no screen time whatsoever, which has been so helpful and actually relaxing. That's brave, actually. No screen time (laughs) for a day. (laughs) Well, there's definitely occurrences where I can't make it the whole day, shamefully, but at least I don't open my laptop. All right. Yeah, that's fair. So uh, growing up, did you play sports or what were your hobbies? What did you enjoy? A lot of computer time, uh, but I also played uh, soccer, softball, swimming, uh, basketball, a lot of different sports. My family was very athletic, a lot of instruments, which I unfortunately no longer play. But most of the time I spent, like most of my time now, I spend it with my dog. (laughs) Awesome. Do you continue with any of the sports now? No, unfortunately, with COVID, it's just too hard to, obviously, I'm not going to go, you know, meet with a soccer team or anything like that. (laughs) Yeah, fair. (laughs) Um, What jobs did you have before Tech? Yeah, before Tech, I was working in marketing and also a few political campaigns, which was such an amazing experience. But in marketing, it was definitely rough and it wasn't what I wanted to do long term, but I also learned a lot. So that was amazing. Working on a campaign seems pretty interesting to me. It's always been like a one day, maybe bucket list, right? (laughs) Yeah, it was really fascinating. I started out as an intern and they hired me full time. So I dropped out of college. Well, I didn't drop out. I took a gap year (laughs) and I started working there full time. It was fantastic. And I actually learned a lot about coding because there were some really amazing engineers there at the time. So it was really kind of helpful and kind of forgot all that and then tried to get in tech again and remembered some of it. So it was helpful, but a really great experience overall. Are you an iPhone or an Android person? <laughs> iPhone all the way. Cool. Same here. <laughs> uh, what inspired you to write a book or I guess now multiple books and was it <laughs> worth the time investment? Oh, yes, it was definitely worth it. So my first book was with O'Reilly Publishing and I came in to help, um, two other co-authors finish up the book. And that was significant. That was months and months of work and meeting with the publisher every week. I <laughs> We wrote just a crazy amount in about under six months last year. So it was uh, 2019. And that was definitely worth it because I started getting a lot of opportunities because of that. And you know, once you have an O'Reilly book, the amount of credibility that provides is just staggering. So that was just an amazing experience. And I learned a lot about writing too. And now with my second book, even though it's self-published, I'm still getting a ton of opportunities just from that. I have companies reaching out about leaving the head of engineering, which just like blows my mind, or the CTO, which is insane. And just so many more speaking opportunities, podcasts like this, just so many great experiences because of that. So I just can't recommend it enough. Do you see the real value there, the kind of ancillary opportunities that come from the credentialing for the writing of the book, or do you see it as a financial gain or kind of the mix of both? 
Well, yeah. So publishing <laughs> with a traditional publisher is not lucrative whatsoever <laughs> at all. Um, but I definitely think for me, it was just about providing value to other people. And I had so many people ask for that. The second book that I wrote, that that was just, I mean, I just, I cry every time I get a message or an email from someone that's like, Hey, I used your book and I got a job. And that happens several times a week now. So that's like the greatest feeling on the planet and the best that I have ever felt in my life when I get one of those messages. That's going to be super rewarding. Yeah. What is your, makes... <laughs> um, what's your career trajectory or your career goals, right? So what's next for you? You're a senior software engineer now. You're now getting offers to be CTO. Is that your next path or what's next on your path? I'm actually not sure. <laughs> I wish that I knew. I've been actually thinking about this a lot lately. I think I'm really invested in helping more people. So um, a few months ago, you know, I did free resume reviews, which I got hundreds every week, which was amazing, but cannot do that again because I had no life for about six weeks because that's all I was doing at night and weekends. So I definitely want to find other avenues to help people get jobs in tech just because I was there and had some very demoralizing interviews and jobs and experiences in tech. So definitely want to just continue helping people as much as I can. But job-wise, you know, just learning as much as I can constantly. And do you see that as this maybe turning into your own thing where you're just doing books and education? Or do you see this as you want to kind of move up the enterprise tech ladder? Do you have a preference there yet? You know, I'm not sure. I, I love coding, so I don't. I couldn't see myself ever giving that fully up. But at one point, if becoming a content creator became a full-time thing, that would just be incredible to me. I just... It's just so fulfilling and it just feels amazing to help people like that. Well, I definitely see the results of that, right? Just just your Twitter. I've seen <laughs> dozens of people that were helped by that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Twitter was it blew up for me this year. I had a couple hundred followers last year, and then this year it's suddenly getting eight to ten thousand a month, which blows my mind. Actually on that. Is the experience of being on Twitter, using Twitter, better or worse with more oh, followers? It is so much worse. <laughs> there's, you know, there's the good and the bad that I'm helping a lot more people and I can see that and feel that, which is amazing. But there's just so many messages of you're a blonde bimbo. You don't know how to code. You don't deserve a senior engineering title. Um, even from, you know, not just from trolls, even from big Twitter accounts that you just wouldn't think would do that. They suddenly you're like subtweeting you because they're upset. you got a lot of followers or whatever. So that's been hard to deal with for sure. That's kind of a massive downside. <laughs> that's sad to hear. How do you approach dealing with that or how do you respond to that? I just really learned to just ignore it. I don't even, I'm really working on just not even getting upset anymore. It's, you know, not my thing. I, I can see the results of that I'm helping people. So if other people are upset with that, that's, kind of their problem. So it's definitely difficult though, because it doesn't feel great to suddenly, you know, have a big target on your back when you've already been a woman in tech, you know, for five plus years with a target on your back. I bet. Um, I would imagine too, with imposter syndrome as much of the thing for you, that's going to really kind of trigger that. Yeah. I've definitely struggled a lot. I think, I personally think everyone does struggle with imposter syndrome, but definitely for myself as well, not having a degree has always been difficult in tech. Yeah. So, so how has 
the change in the world, COVID, um, how's that affected and or fucked with your life so far? <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been very difficult for sure in some personal ways. But I do have to say, I had a lot of time this year to work on the book. So it got out a lot sooner than I would have ever possibly thought because I had pretty much nothing else to do. So I'm trying to, you know, look at as some things are positive out of this, out of, you know, many negative things and a lot of things, horrible things going on in the world that are very upsetting. So I try to hold on to that, you know, one positive thing. <laughs> it's very positive. Um, I'm impressed you've been able to focus it in into productivity. I think the only productive thing I've done outside of work really is probably this podcast this year. <laughs> well, that's a lot of work in itself. But yeah, it's definitely hard. There's some days where I'm not getting anything done but my regular job, if I can even do that. So the book was definitely a hard push. So I've, I have those days as well. <laughs> I just want to lay in bed and watch TV. Yeah. What is your favorite thing that you've ever worked on or shipped? Product-wise or book-wise? <laughs> uh, both. Mm. So I'm going to be biased that my second book is my favorite book. <laughs> Even though my first book with O'Reilly was way more fun because I had a co-writer, co-author. Um, but the second book, I think a lot more satisfaction out of that. But code-wise, I think the most fun thing that I've ever shipped came out. Well, it's a tie. So I've worked at a ticketing company once and we built a really cool uh, entry management system for concerts and venues. And we got to go to shows and test it out. So that was pretty fantastic. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that can be beat, but this year I was working in a small startup and we worked on this really cool um, app that basically helps executive assistants do better at their jobs. So it helps them communicate better with their executives. It helps them do this really cool thing we call decision stream that sends them like questions and they can quickly get an answer back from their executive, which was really awesome. Okay, so that's your favorite thing. What is the riskiest thing you've ever watched? The riskiest thing? Oh, probably was still the entry management system because we were planning to use it actually at Burning Man. And so it was <laughs> it was the entry management system at Burning Man for several years. So that was absolutely terrifying. And that was back when I had, I think, a year and a half of experience, if that. And the senior engineer on the project had just left the company. So I was the only iOS engineer on the team for a significant amount of time, which was terrifying. Eventually, someone else did join and everything went really well, but it was definitely a lot of pressure really quickly. But it's kind of why I'm an advocate for pressure makes you learn so much faster. And, you know, diving into the unknown just accelerates everything in your career. That's awesome. The, I imagine the constraints and logistics that had to be pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a very tough time in my life, but I think it's another reason why I was promoted to senior engineer so quickly because kind of I had that experience that forced me to become that, you know, type of engineer really quickly. So it was really beneficial but also really challenging and I definitely cried a lot in the bathroom when I, <laughs> I was dealing with imposter syndrome back then significantly. <laughs> well, you got through it. <laughs> um, referencing your other book, are you still involved with the blockchain and our smart contracts or where's your stance on that now? I'm not anymore. I kind of realized that my, you know, true love was JavaScript. So I kind of 
extracted myself from the blockchain world a little bit. I think the tech is really awesome, but JavaScript is where it's at for me. You don't want to do JavaScript on the blockchain? <laughs> so I actually had some really cool things happen because I did uh, blockchain and React and Truffle and everything like that. But nothing's as good as, you know, React and Node, in my opinion. What is it? What is it um, Atwoods law? Anything that can be written in JavaScript will eventually be written in JavaScript. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. All right. So what are you struggling with right now? You know, personally, professionally, both? Yeah. So <laughs> definitely starting a new job during COVID and not being able to meet my coworkers in person. That's a professional struggle that I'm really dealing with and learning a new code base in kind of this overwhelming time. Definitely really, really rough and definitely a lot of imposter syndrome. So I'm there for everyone that's like, oh, senior engineers don't get imposter syndrome. So I've been an engineer for, you know, five plus years now, and I still have it all the time. I have it this week significantly, uh, learning Rails and kind of teaching myself Rails in the last few days. Exciting, but also that's been difficult. <laughs> ben, what is your, what's your day-to-day like right now, especially with uh, onboarding to a remote job? Yeah, so I'm waking up pretty early and I'm trying to work on, you know, more content creation, more free videos, working on lots of uh, free projects for people to like learn how to code or get a job. So that's kind of my morning and then, you know, start my day to day of learning, you know, a new whole new code base at a really exciting, you know, company. So that's really awesome. And then, you know, after that, just trying to survive, not seeing friends, not being able to go anywhere. <laughs> I just really miss going into a Starbucks and working at a Starbucks. I just, oh, it just sounds so fabulous. It's like a little simple things. <laughs> I'm totally going to love that when that happens again. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard it, right? But like right now, it's not normal. Remote working now is like oh, yeah. a very different thing. So I'm sure you'll enjoy it more once the world is back on. Yeah, I'm I'm so tired of seeing on Twitter and social media of like, oh, remote work is terrible. I hate it. It's like, no, actual remote work is going to be so, it's so fabulous. I've been working remote, I think, for about two years now. And it's just amazing. You get work done early because you're more productive. And then you have the whole rest of your day, you know, it's free. And then you don't have to commute night or morning. So you have that added time as well. I've never been more productive or learned as much, you know. Until I went remote working at a company in SF, you're sick like every month there because there's always some virus that's not COVID going around and, you know, tech companies and the open offices. So you're dealing with that. And then, you know, you want to go out with your coworkers and have fun. So that's kind of a deterrent for being productive and people are talking right behind you. I just, I'm a huge fan of remote work. So it sounds like you're doing a lot, right? So you're you're getting up early, you're working on your own stuff and you're doing the job. (laughs) Uh, are you concerned about burnout or how do you feel like you're managing that? Yeah, I think I always, I think I've always felt a little bit of burnout because I think I have always, you know, had imposter syndrome and always feeling like I need to do better and I don't do enough. And it's, it's been interesting being on Twitter and having a larger audience because so many people are like, wow, you just do so much. How do you do it all? And that's something that's asked constantly uh, by people on Twitter and social media. So that has been, a really positive thing that realizing that's like, okay, maybe I am doing enough and maybe I have been doing enough, but it's definitely no concern. I've last year I had like two months off where I was not working 
I did absolutely nothing every day. And that kind of recharged me, I think, for maybe years to come. But definitely right now with COVID, you know, feeling the struggle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, two months off. That's uh, I think I've ever had that. I'm jealous. I know. I actually had not had two months off since I think college, maybe in the summer. So what is your, your favorite drink? It could be alcoholic, non-alcoholic. <laughs> oh, if I say it, everyone's going to laugh at me on this podcast. <laughs> I love Shirley Temple's. Have you read a Shirley Temple? I have. I have. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love yeah, them so choice. much. <laughs> I haven't had one in years, but yeah, good choice. Yeah. Non-alcoholic. I hate when a bartender adds alcohol to it. I mean. It's in the it's name. Just, it's so much better playing. I <laughs> Just so much better playing. <laughs> nice. Uh, what do you do right? Uh, maybe not right now. Maybe right now. But what are you doing for fun away from the computer? What are your current hobbies? Not enough. But a lot of hiking right now because I just got a puppy. Um, she's a little over a year old. And so she's finally at that age where we can go and hike. So I spend most of my time with her. And that's actually my neighbor's dog barking in the background if you can hear that that I'm also babysitting right now they had their house flooded so he's over at my house <laughs> um but yeah a lot of time outside right now to combat the screen I'm really st- staring at my screen way too much every day because you know every meeting now is over zoom and I think people try to compensate with more meetings when you're remote in some ways so it's been really difficult to deal with you know staring at the screen but I don't know if you can see all my books behind me, but I'm also a big reader. So I'm reading um, right now Zero to Sold, which is this amazing book. Everyone's you know been talking about it. So it's like my new favorite. Fantastic from an indie hacker. Who is that book? Do you know? Yeah. So I do know. I'll have to send you a link so you can post his book actually later because he's just, he's awesome. He's all over Twitter. Um, but I'll, sh- I'll show you the link of the book. Cool. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Um, all right. So this question is, what is your production function? So the idea behind this is, what is the thing that makes you so driven to accomplish what you have or makes your work uniquely yours? So what's what's the underlying motivations behind that? Wow, that's a really good question. Pass. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's my main one. No. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, gosh, I think just that I feel, you know, not having a CS degree, that it's never enough, that every accomplishment, even having a book with O'Reilly just was not enough. And so I'm always trying to do more and more. And I hate it because, you know, it's at some point you should just be happy with what you have. But it's really important to me to, you know, be really financially secure and help out my family as they get older. And keep you know producing content as much as I can because that's just really rewarding. But I think for me it's just all about that I never, you know, feel like I'm good enough, I guess, to be an engineer. So I always try to do more and more and more writing books and speaking at conferences and putting myself out there as much as possible to kind of, you know, combat that. Do you have any idea in your head of like a milestone that you would accept for yourself as now this is enough or now I've made it and I can uh you know, chill or coast a little bit more. <laughs> Gosh, I don't know if I'd ever be happy doing that. I think, you know, even having the two months off last year, I was just very, it was really relaxing, but I was also like, oh my gosh, I need a purpose again. So I don't know if, you know, if that'll ever happen. I'll, hopefully, you know, maybe in 
10 years or so, I'll see where I'm at and I'll be satisfied with everything. But I think, you know, if you're not pushing yourself to improve, it feels very demoralizing at some point. So you just feel like you're coasting. I can understand with COVID even, right? It's like, there's not much to do most nights. I don't feel like doing much anymore, you know? Yeah. So it's like when you're busier, you're actually more productive and there's less time just because you're more motivated. It's easier to keep up that momentum. Yeah. I think it's a good way to keep a good headspace through COVID for me. It's been trying to, you know, I don't want to say ignore the craziness in the world because that is absolutely impossible to ignore everything that's going on, but, you know, try to at least get one good thing that has you know come out of this, which was my book and hopefully now something else. <laughs> what is the the next uh, personal accomplishment for you? Is it, uh, I think you said you're working on a course or what is it? Yeah. So I had a lot of people reach out to me when I started doing free resume reviews, um, just hundreds and hundreds of people every week. And like I said, that was like a really intense experience, but I just realized that so many engineers um, don't know how to write a resume that gets results, which I completely understand. You know, I was in that position. So that's kind of the next big thing I'm working on and I'll have to see where I go after that. Cool. It seems like you started looking for a job and you had a job pretty much immediately this last go around. Is that how it was for you (laughs) internally or is that just the external perception? Yeah. So. Definitely just the external perception. I spent about eight or nine months teaching myself how to code first and, you know, really, really struggling and still not feeling good enough. And the boot camp came way at the end. So, you know, by the time I wanted to get a job to the time I got a job, over a year, you know, had went by at that point. And so it was a very involved process. But you know, everyone kind of likes to focus on the, oh, two weeks after a boot camp, you had a job that, you know, the boot camp did it for you. And I'm like, no, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. And I was, you know, a year to get a job with no CS degree. That's great. You know, some people do it a lot quicker, which is amazing. Some people it takes a little bit longer, but I think I'm a little bit in the average time there. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I think it's good for people to know that too, right? Like it oh, might yeah. look like an overnight success from your perspective <laughs> or from theirs, right? But it's it never is. It's always a lot of hard work. Yeah. I really like to drill that into people when they're like, oh, wow, it worked out for you. And it was so easy. And it's like, yes, in some ways, I had a lot of luck, you know, being born in California and being a woman and getting a dev job. That definitely helped a lot to get my first dev job. Absolutely. Um, but it also, you know, required a lot of hard work and dealing with a lot of imposter syndrome. Well, great job. You're helping a lot of people. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Are there any games, video games, board games, anything you're playing recently? Yes. Yeah, so my boyfriend has a simulation of this car racing game that we've been playing that has the actual, you know, really nice wheel and real racers play it. And of course, I can't remember the name right now, but we're doing that. So we're debating getting one. I'm getting another set up and doing it side by side. And then a lot of Mario Party, shamefully, really into Mario Party lately. It's just so much fun. No, nothing to be ashamed about. <laughs> uh, books. You're a big reader. Are you? A, do you mainly do fiction, nonfiction, both? Oh gosh, I actually haven't read a fiction book in years, and I feel horrible about that. I am all about nonfiction. I'm all about improving your life. I actually just read David Goggins' book, he "Can't Hurt Me," and it was just incredible. He has just he had such a difficult life, and he dealt with so many things and it just the book like changed my life because I've decided to push myself 30% harder like he says in the book 
And I did that in a run the other day and I felt 30% sicker afterwards. But I also ran 30% longer. So it worked out. So, but yeah, I'm an avid reader. I think I'd read all day if I could. That's a pretty good pitch for that book, though. Yeah, make sure to send me that link as well. Like, yeah, I will. It's a fantastic book. He's He actually went through the Navy SEAL training three times because he had an injury uh, multiple times. And he's just dealt with so much in his life and so much abuse and hardships and racism. And just reading a story is so inspirational. And it's so much better than I hate reading those stories of someone like Elon Musk or anyone like that. Just it was not as difficult for them. And this reading this kind of story where someone had it so much harder than most people do and much harder than I ever did. I can, you know, I can't, I can't even imagine what he's been through. I'll definitely check it out. Yeah. What podcast are you listening to recently? So I've listened to some of <laughs> a lot of indie hacker podcasts lately. I've been really into that. <laughs> and I've actually started listening to a lot of the podcasts um, that I've been on because it's introduced me to so many more amazing podcasts like the entrepreneur, of course, I'm not going to say it, entrepreneurial code uh, podcast. That's been a big one for me lately. Um, I find it really interesting. And then I've been listening to a lot of uh, Jose Rosado's interviews um, with um, Daniel Vasallo because I, I think uh, they're both really interesting people that, you know, worked really hard. And I really appreciate Daniel Vasallo's just story. I I have Twitter notifications on for him actually because everything he's just such an interesting person. He has such a great experience of create content creation and working at Amazon and creating his AWS book. I'm just fascinated by it. Yeah, I really enjoy following him on Twitter as well. I include a link <laughs> to his Twitter for those listening. <laughs> so that is all I have. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Randall. I really appreciate your time tonight. Thank you for having me, Ben. That was awesome.